I'd love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. We will begin in a moment or two here in Jeremiah 1 and make our way to chapter 23 for a little longer conversation. But Jeremiah 1, uh, there in the prophets, where we'll start. And of course, the sermon notes in your bulletin are always uh, a good thing for you to have in front of you. The top of those sermon notes, you see a bit of a reminder about where we're going, where we've been in terms of our Advent preaching and programs, and of course, a seven-year plan that we've put together that works through God's story of redemption, and we're right there in the middle. Most of you know the name C.S. Lewis, if you are a reader of Christian thought. Lewis, of course, was a theologian, philosopher in England born 1898, died in 1963, but uh, a good writer and a good thinker. In 1940, uh, of course, there in England, uh, that was a dark season for the people in England on that island nation as um, Hitler's blitzkrieg moved across Europe and uh, everybody in England wondered when uh, things were going to come across the, the, the channel there and present war. During that time of fear and difficulty for them as a nation, Lewis um, went to the airwaves and began to address his fellow countrymen. And some of those addresses were turned into books later on. One of those is called The Problem of Pain. This is an older version of that. This is what theologians call a brief theodicy, uh, which is a, in its fuller sense, a defense of God, if you will, in the face of evil, which, as you know, is one of the big discussions always uh, down through the history of, of Christianity and the world is if indeed God is who the Bible says he is, how can this be? Well, he wrestles with some of those things in an abbreviated form, but there is, a, there is a section here in his chapter on human pain that is often quoted, probably one of the more often quoted parts of this book, and we'll use it, I suppose, as a springboard today for where we're going. But he, he says this, and I excerpt just a bit, if you were to look at the book. He says, we can rest contentedly in our sins and in our stupidities. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Pain, he says, is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, I think he's on to something here. Few of us make life-changing, dramatic turns back to God at birthday parties. Usually it is in a season of difficulty and pain and tears and trouble that we find ourselves turning to God if we're going to look at the America right after 9-11, right? For Oh, goodness, two or three weeks churches were filled as people turned back and said, maybe we should listen to the Almighty, indeed. Well, as we come to, to our Advent series, just like Lewis was speaking to a season of national darkness, so the prophets of God 
in the Bible were also speaking to people in a season of national darkness. And just to review with you, and I'll tell you where we want to go today, but, but God's people at this section of, of time, as we're looking at it in Jeremiah, the nation had split in two. Uh, the northern part had already been taken away captive by the Assyrians. And God's people in the south, oh man, they were heading the same direction as their, their brothers and sisters up north. They were ignoring the things of God, and God was going to bring judgment on them as a nation. It was coming. It really was. And my goodness sakes, as Jeremiah, the prophet, when I was born and lived, uh, was a prophet for 50 years, um, things were just going very, very poorly there in the south. As I've said before, the lights were about to go out. And we're going to see today the darkness that Jeremiah lived in. We'll talk about our seasons of darkness. And we'll remember together God's presence in darkness and how he speaks. We'll see that in the text. And I, I hope not only to address issues of history in Bible, but, but to bridge that gap into our own seasons of difficulty and darkness and how God is present with us too. He is. I'd like to pray for us, and we'll jump right in here. All right? So join me, please, as we do that. Our Father, uh, thank you so much for the Word of God and the privilege that is ours to open it together and to step into the pages of history, yes, but to see your voice in the darkness back then uh, be the voice that addresses us today in our seasons of difficulty and darkness as well, of which there really are many. So, Father, we invite your presence. Please help us here as as all of us come um, ready to hear, ready to think, uh, wanting to hear from you. That's why we've come. We could be a lot of other places, but here we are. And, Father, we ask your help by the Spirit of God. Uh, that we would we would listen to you today, and we ask for your, for for that deep that deep work that only you can do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, on your study notes, there is a section there called review, and I will just ask you to look at that very briefly. I gave you two texts that we visited the last couple of weeks. We're not going to go to those again, Second Chronicles, 2 Corinthians, but those two little reminders, the bullet points, I think are good to help us remember what we've said about our seasons of darkness. First of all, we saw last week and mentioned the week, of course, before that not all seasons of darkness are indeed our fault. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. Sometimes there are seasons of darkness, we might call them, that come at the hands of others. Sometimes it's due to the culture around us, but but none Nonetheless, things are not always our fault. Sometimes we live in a fallen world of sickness and pain and death, and it's kind of what you get for waking up in the morning. Okay, Merry Christmas. I know that'll encourage you. Uh, At the same time, in the text that we're looking at today, as we've noted before, the specific darkness for Israel as a nation or for Judah as a nation, this really was their fault as a nation. I don't mean every single one of them. Okay, there were those in the nation who were faithful followers of the God of the Bible. But as a nation, it really kind of was their fault. They had ignored God. They'd walked away and couldn't imagine why there were consequences for, having, for, for doing so. So you can very much look at it and say, yeah, you, you, you kind of did ask for it here. Now, we mentioned last week in 2 Corinthians in particular, God's answer to real guilt, and I put it that way, as, a, as opposed to false guilt. Sometimes people feel guilty for something that isn't sin. I'm talking about real guilt, 
actually violation of God's plan for us. So real guilt, the answer to real guilt is genuine repentance. And next week, or last week rather, you remember we were drawing a difference, a very painful difference between sorrow of this world and and true repentance, godly sorrow. Remembering together that it's possible to be sorry, especially sorry for consequences. It's possible to weep and say, I'll never do that again, and never truly repent. That is change of heart. And all of us have done it. All of us. Well, true repentance, of course, involves recognizing my offense before a holy God. It involves a change of heart. It involves conviction of the Spirit of God and a turning, a going a different direction. Apart from those things, it's pretty easy to just land ourselves in, in apologies that are maybe sincere as apologies, but no change, really. I still love what I shouldn't and uh, likely repeat it. Well, review. There you go. Now, section here on your study notes, I've gone with darkness and then comfort. And what I want to do is before we look at the voices of hope as my title today, I want us to take a few minutes to talk about the darkness. Because apart from seeing the darkness that Jeremiah saw, uh, the, the light doesn't look quite as bright. But so, so for a few minutes, I want us to just move into the world of Jeremiah the prophet and, and, and think together about the darkness that he saw, different from ours. I've never been in his sandals. But uh, here we go. So Jeremiah 1 is what I have open in front of me. The chapter opens with a bit of biography. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was born in a little town about three miles outside of, of Jerusalem. there in the southern part, right? Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Jeremiah was born during the, the latter part of the, of the southern kingdom before they went into captivity but just outside of Jerusalem. And by the way, chapter 1 tells the story of the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not volunteer for this job. Um, He didn't take a career aptitude test in high school, have the school counselor say, hey, I think you'd make a good prophet. Well, sure, I think I do. Is there a school of prophets around here? Let me get a degree in that. Not true at all. No, God called him, said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. Let's go. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what to say, so go do it. By the way, it's going to go very poorly. How about that? Mom, dad, no, I'm going to be a prophet. God says it's not going to go well. Fantastic. Well, indeed, that's because he's going to be telling them, hey, the the clock is ticking. You've been ignoring God and judgment is coming. So you know how popular of a message that is. But God is going to speak through this young man, and he does so over a period of about 50 years. Interesting and storied uh, telling of his life. But I'm I'm just going to turn some pages and, and surf for a minute, Okay. Because I'm after a couple of things from the prophet Jeremiah. So in chapter 2, verse 1, the word of the Lord, of course, comes to Jeremiah. And here he goes. It's, he's got his sermon notes, and away he goes. He says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. You followed me in the wilderness. Talking about uh, them as a nation as though they were a bride. And God says to Jeremiah, you remember how it used to be? Do you remember how you used to have such a warm heart of devotion toward me? You remember summer camp, or you remember that revival thing? You remember going to Billy Graham crusade? You remember that season in your life when God was so real and you just could, you know, you woke up every morning singing songs of praise and saying, man, where's my Bible? Remember that? So where'd that go? What happened to that? Do you remember, remember the past? And then he starts reviewing with them some of the national history. Remember how I led you out of Egypt? Verse six. Remember that? Kind of saved you guys as a nation. 
Amazing, wasn't it? So what happened to your devotion? Did I treat you badly? What was it for you, for, for you as a nation? What wrong, he says in verse 5, what wrong did your fathers find in me? What's the deal? I brought you into a beautiful land, plentiful land, verse 7. Was that a problem? Look at how I've cared for you as a nation. Verse 11, has a nation changed gods, even though they are no gods? My people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me. Here are the two. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they've hewn out for themselves cisterns that hold no water. They're broken. What, what are you doing? You've moved from the living God, who alone can satisfy your soul, for all kinds of other trinkets and things that just mess up your life. What are you doing? Why would you do that, he says? Well, we mentioned last week that there is a term Jeremiah uses, uh, to be specific, 111 times. And it's, it's, the, it's the term turn or return. There's a root word. It shows up in different ways throughout the book. He uses it 111 times, and he's calling God's people back. Come, return. And speaking on behalf of God, turn back to me. I mean, come on, people. What's going on? And Jeremiah, as he preaches on God's behalf, sees them, of course, not do so. Chapter 3, you see in verse 12, of course, the return. Return, return, faithless Israel, he says as he speaks toward the north. Return is the call of God. I'm merciful. Acknowledge your guilt, verse 13. I mean, take a look at this. You rebelled against the Lord. Verse 14, return, faithless children. Return. That's the call of God. Come back. You've heard it said, where there's life, there's hope. Indeed. Um, chapter 4, verse 3, break up your fallow ground, that unplowed ground. That's what God says. Your heart's hard. Your heart has been hardened. So let me plow it up again. And folks, this could be you today, of course, a time when you used to be closer to God than you are, a place of hardness in your heart toward God. Jeremiah watching all this unfold on a national level. Now, on your study notes, I'm just working my way down those bullet points. I'm going to go to chapter 8. I'm saying Jeremiah wept as he saw the consequences of that sin in the form of a brutal foreign army. Of course, not all foreign armies marching into a town are brutal. Uh, but in this case, indeed, a brutal foreign army. And in Jeremiah 8, I'm going to start reading actually at verse 18. I just want you to get a, a feel for this guy's heart. He's not a soldier. He's a prophet of God. Imagine yourself in his sandals as, a, as terrible things begin to happen, as, as the floodgates open, the foreign army shows up, and here you are able to do precisely nothing, really nothing. So he says, my, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? It's a familiar verse I know in literature and so on. It's, it's used in a number of places. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? And Jeremiah says, chapter 9, verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because in his in his experiencing this difficult time, 
He's smart enough. He's smart enough to weep. Um, not all of our seasons of darkness are just like his. Now, few of us have seen a country overrun by a foreign, brutal foreign army. But in our seasons of darkness, sometimes, you know this, there's not a lot you can do other than to grieve it. Some of you have been there, some of you are there, where things are hard and you can protest. Uh, Jeremiah, I mean, he's not a soldier. What's he going to do, get a sword? What's one guy going to do? He's preached, he's told people, repent, turn back to God. They're not. Um, The tanks are rolling in, so to speak. And he grieves for what he sees. Some of you know about grief. I know you do. This last year, many in this church family have lost loved ones. Many have experienced illness, threat of, of life or death, and all kinds of other hurts that just come from, from life and from living in a fallen world. Things people do, other choices others make for us, and we get to live with the results. And sometimes, uh, you, you know, really the best thing, I really mean this, the best thing you can do is to, is to grieve it and not rush through it. Friday night, of course, is a, we have a blue Christmas. That's a, a quieter service here, sponsored by our grief share um, uh, folks and others from other grief share, people, people from the community come. It's a quieter time um, where we think about Christmas, we think about hope, and we don't try to just cheer everybody up like it's chipper and everything. Everything's good. Well, it isn't. Sometimes you just need to be sad. And so here he is, Jeremiah, prophet of God. If only I had more tears to cry, but frankly, I'm out. My head had more water, I would cry. I would cry. Wow. Interesting. I'm going to I'm going to jump over one small step to lamentations. Okay? Uh lamentations right after the book of Jeremiah. Um this little book, 5 chapters long is a lament. And if you know what a lament is, well, basically, it's, it's being sad. It's expressing sorrow. And you know, this is, I think, an undervalued thing because often, it, we, as we come alongside hurting people or grieving people, often what we try to do, I'm going to say it carefully, mistakenly, is instead of encouraging or being present, we try to cheer them up, don't we? Thinking that we're helping I think cheering people up, often that isn't really what their heart needs, as much as your presence and your care. Well, Lamentations is, a, is an interesting book. Maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. It's five chapters long. Chapters one, two, four, and five, you'll notice, are all 22 verses long. It's an acrostic. So Jeremiah wrote one, like a verse, for each of the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. I'm saying he worked hard at this to reflect grief. For him, some people write music, some people talk, some people write books. Jeremiah wrote a lament, and he put his, put his heart into it. So three, four chapters, 22 verses long. Chapter three, you'll notice, is 66 verses long, which is then three, well, we would have three verses for each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Isn't that interesting? So it's a carefully crafted, it's a masterpiece. 
It's a poem of sadness. Now, of course, we're aware right in the middle of chapter 3, there's a voice of hope, as, as is appropriate. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So he grieves, and he remembers the presence of God, and he grieves some more. And I suspect if somebody else had come along and said, hey, come on, cheer up, Jeremiah, he would have said, hey, buddy, you don't get it. You haven't walked where I've walked. My heart is very, very sad. My whole, my whole country just came apart, and I've seen things people ought not to see. I just need to be sad for a while. Now, I'm going to have you look with me at the, at the end of chapter 5, and just the way the book ends. Um, say in Lamentations, if you're looking for a feel-good thing to read in the morning before you head off to work, um, depending on where you're at in your life, Lamentations may not be the chipper thing you want to read, the pick-me-up, along with your morning coffee. But it's very, very real as he wrestles with God and his presence in judgment. But the book ends now, verses 21 and 22. He says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Now, often when this book was read in a Jewish context, if I understand correctly, uh, the reader would often read verse 21 again to close on a note of of hope rather than a note of despair. Well, interesting, interesting. Well, I look at all of this because I, in order to, to, to catch the voice of hope through Jeremiah, you, have to, you just have to step into the darkness that he's walking in. Otherwise, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, the third little bullet point there on your notes, I'm not going to have us turn to, but I just want to talk about it. That is specifically, Jeremiah gave God's announcement that the captivity in Babylon, would be 70 years long. Now, I, this is kind of fun. He says it in Jeremiah 25. We, we saw that same fact reflected in Second Chronicles 36, the last two weeks, in books of history. But you, it, it, what, I, what I love so much about this is, if you read the prophecy of Daniel, this, this shows up in our play. You saw it yesterday. If you come tonight, watch for this stuff. Okay, they took it right out of the Bible. So, so in In Daniel chapter 9, which is his prayer of national repentance, okay, it begins by him, he says, I was reading in the prophet Jeremiah. Now, he doesn't say chapter 25, because it wasn't done like that at the time, but he says, I was reading in the prophecy of Jeremiah in the books that this season of captivity would be 70 years long. Guess what chapter of Jeremiah Daniel read? I know, chapter 25. So when you read Jeremiah 25, I'm telling you, you're reading exactly the same thing that that Daniel read in captivity, oh, I don't know, a couple years ago. He read it too, except on a scroll out of Hebrew. You're reading the same thing. 70 years have been set aside for my people, at the end of which I'm going to restore them. Daniel read that, went 70 years. Oh, for goodness sakes, looked at the calendar and went... So God, it's time. Let's go with that restoration thing. That's Daniel chapter 9. And of course, there's a deep prayer of repentance there. Daniel praying on behalf of his nation. Um, We've sinned. We've sinned against you. Oh God, restore, restore. So Daniel 9, love that. 70 years long. Well, I want to move to Jeremiah 23 for just a a few more minutes as well. And um, I want to read verses 1 through 8. This is only one section that I would call a light in the darkness. There are many, but darkness and national time, when things are pretty bad, captivity can't get a whole lot worse. Now, 
On your study notes, I have under the section called Comfort, How Does God Deal With Us in the Darkness? And a little reflection there at the beginning, that even in times of national darkness, not everybody is faithless. I've said that, but I just wanted to put that in writing someplace. Often, those who are not guilty suffer along with those who are. Can I get an amen on that? Well, I don't need you to, but you know how it is. Often those who aren't guilty of a specific thing suffer along with those who are, and indeed, that was the case with Jeremiah. I want to read Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8, and just kind of reflect on some of the things that God is saying to bring comfort and hope, because they're, they're things that apply not only then, but now, okay? So let's hear God's word then, Jeremiah 23, Now, we read this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the nations where I've driven them, and I'll bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but... As the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he's driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Oh, man. Voices of hope. Now, a couple of things, if I may. This this chapter, along with one that we'll visit in a few minutes in Ezekiel, brings strong words of condemnation for the shepherds. Now, uh, if you go to a New Testament context... The shepherds, uh, that's a term that's often used to refer to pastors or church leaders. It's really not the same thing here. Sometimes people read this and say, you got a rotten pastor, just fire the bum and get another one, right? Woe to the shepherds. Well, out with him and get another one. Well, this isn't about firing the pastor, uh, fortunately. This, this, in the Old Testament context, shepherds would refer not only to spiritual leaders, but to civic leaders as well. So all those who provide leadership to God's people. So woe to the shepherds. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. And he's basically saying, you guys have been lousy leaders. You've been lousy leaders. You haven't cared for my people. They're running all over the place. They've been abused, uh, downtrodden. And as we'll see in in Ezekiel 34, a little bit similar context, because there's no good leadership, guess what happens? The sheep don't treat each other very well. They bite and devour one another too. So it isn't just problems with leaders, but in Ezekiel 34, he says, and the sheep aren't very nice to each other either. Well, that's another conversation. But, But I want us to see in the midst of the chastising that's going on, God's words of comfort, and they're here. So verses 1 and 2, as he rebukes those shepherds, God says about them, you've scattered my flock and driven them away. You've not 
attended to them. Now, there's a, there's a play on words here. The word attended is used in two different ways. So you've not attended to them, God says, as is in, that is in care. But he says, I will attend to you. What do you think he means here? Well, he doesn't mean attend as in, you know, pat you on the back. He says, you didn't attend to them? Okay, watch that. Uh, I'm going to attend to you. This is is justice taking place. This is God showing up and saying, "Those, those who misused and mistreated God's people, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to take care of it. That's that's a promise of justice. God wanting to step in and bring right. And you know, I I really believe this. While I know things, we often want things that aren't quite justice. Sometimes we just want revenge. Truth be known. Uh, Very often, I'm struck by the, the ways in which the image of God shows up. Okay? The Bible tells us people are made in the image of God. Um, unlike the animal kingdom. Animals are wonderful, okay? Great, not picking on animals. But one of the things about people, made in the image of God, and I, I believe this is more generally true than not, that there is a longing in most people's hearts for justice. Now, sometimes we get it wrong about what justice is, but we, we want it, especially when we're hurt. We want justice on those other people, don't we? Well, here is a promise of true justice. Verses 3 and 4, a promise of future consolation. He says, I will set shepherds over them. I'll, I'll, I'm, verse 3, I'm going to bring them back. I'll bring them back from where they were driven. They'll be fruitful, multiply. I'll give them a different kind of leaders. And you know what it's going to be like? They don't need to be afraid anymore. They don't need to be dismayed. None of them are going to be missing. This is, this is future consolation. I'm going to make right what is wrong the future won't look like today. The things that are broken today will one day be healed. The atmosphere that is not shalom, the Jewish context, that speaks of, of wholeness, wellness. Shalom is often just used as a greeting, like peace. It isn't. It isn't. It's wholeness and wellness and a, a state of, 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 of health. So that's what's being described here, shalom. You, if you, in a Jewish context, you greet somebody and you wish them shalom, you're not just saying, have a nice day. You're, you're wishing for them so much more. Wholeness, wellness of soul and spirit. And so here, uh, a, a state of shalom, future consolation. Now, verses 5 and 6, right out of our program, man. Right out of what you saw on stage yesterday twice. God says, in this context, this, this season of darkness, now, now God speaks and he says these things over and over again. I'm going to raise up for David a righteous branch. He'll reign as king, execute justice and righteousness. Here's his name. The Lord is our righteousness. Of whom is he speaking here? I mean, come on. It's a promise of Messiah, the greater son of David. Second Samuel 6, the Davidic covenant that we looked at in our program a year ago. It's that. It's that promise that keeps showing up. So here again, a season of national darkness off into captivity, and God keeps saying to them, but Messiah is coming. Hold on to hope. I know it's hard. I know it's dark right now. Hold on to hope. There's coming a day, as he would say then, there's a Messiah coming. I'm not going to tell you when, but he's going to come. He's going to be called the Lord is our righteousness. Messiah will come. On stage in our program, 
Again, if you weren't here yesterday, come, come, please come. You'll hear in a season of very uh, difficult circumstances, our folks on stage recalling various prophecies of hope. That's what they're doing. There's one coming. What's his name? His name is the Lord is our righteousness. Messiah, Messiah, Jesus will come. Promise of a great Savior. And then verses 7 and 8, a promise of future redemption. I love this. Um, you, you got to think of the whole context. He says, the days are coming when they'll no longer say as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of, uh, out of the land of Egypt. So that wonderful salvation event described in Exodus, he's saying, yes, wonderful. It, but it, there's coming a day when people will say not only that, but, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people out of captivity. They're in the middle of it right now. People get this. In the middle of darkness, God is already looking to the end of it. He's already there. Which, by the way, darkness, difficulty, grief, lostness, those typically are seasons, aren't they? They may be a long season, but typically it's a season with an end. Now, I know some things, I, do, I know this, I, I know some hurts are, will only be fully healed when we're in the presence of God. I know that. But many of our other, the rhythms of life, there, there, there are seasons we move through. And if you're in one that's particularly difficult, don't despair and think, well, this is going to be the end of my life. It's going to be like this till Jesus comes. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will be and maybe it won't. Maybe God will bring you through a a difficult season and there'll be another day, dawn. That may be the case for you. Well, more on the bigger picture in a couple minutes. But verses 7 and 8, a promise of future redemption. There's going to be a day God is going to bring that season to a conclusion when God will restore and rebuild and people will say, look what the Lord has done. Now, next week we're going to go there, by the way. Next week is, well, I'm already there. In my preparation, it's really fun, and I can hardly wait to go there with you. But to get there, you have to walk through. You have to walk through the darkness. So this little section of Jeremiah is, is one. It's one of many where God, in the midst of darkness, speaks words of hope and comfort and redemption and consolation. And it's him saying to people in the dark, I haven't forgotten you. I know where you are. I know the walk that you're taking. I have not forgotten. So I quickly say to, to all of us, whether you're in a difficult season today or you've been there or you're about to and you don't know it yet, right? 2020. I'm saying that like, oh, bummer. I don't mean that. I'm just, I'm saying God knows where we are and he walks with us. And as you walk through the seasons of life, you don't walk alone. Okay. That's what I'm wanting you to to think about. Now on your study notes, then I want to move to a couple of voices of hope elsewhere. I just want to read them a couple of very brief comments. And then I want to pull a number of things together about where we now sit in Bible history and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. But I want you to just, just to hear again some of these, like in Isaiah chapter 9, we read this on the first Sunday of Advent, which I said then is one of my favorites because we get to read Isaiah 9. 
I just think it's profound. So here then, some of the other voices of hope spoken in the darkness. God says to Isaiah, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, what is it? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that. I will do this, God says. I will see that it happens. Wow, that's so good. Now, Ezekiel 34, I want to go as well here. This, as I mentioned, has a similar tone to it as Jeremiah 23. But again, a light in the darkness. It's a, it's a glimmer of hope. It's a beacon of hope. It's more than a glimmer. Ezekiel 34, similar context of shepherds and sheep. But he says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. If you look at the preceding context, you see, as I mentioned, sometimes in difficulties, sheep don't treat other sheep very well either. So he says, I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. There again, coming from David's line, that's 2 Samuel 7, Davidic covenant again. And then finally, I want to read from Luke's gospel, chapter 1, the words of God to to Mary. And I just want you to see the the tie-in with the Old Testament. So Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O highly favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, now, track with me on this, please. So in Old Testament time, there, was, there were several seasons of difficulty. There was time in Egypt and the time we're talking about of, of exile And there was God's promise toward the end of restoration. Messiah would come. Okay, now, listen, Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for our sin, rose from the dead. And the New Testament tells us that even now, this season that we live in today, that it too will come to an end. And Jesus, the Bible says, will come 
again. And the struggles that are ours today will one day be behind us. So just as in the Old Testament, God spoke words of hope all surrounding coming Messiah. So today, Jesus having come once to pay for sin. The Bible describes him coming yet again in glory. Now, 2 Peter 3. These are words given for your comfort and encouragement. 2 Peter 3 speaks of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I love that. The home of righteousness, I think the ESV says. And to go to the very end of the book, Revelation 21, 22, talks about a yet future day when this season is all done. And we read, God himself will be among them and be their God, God's people. Those who've trusted Christ as their Savior, they put their reservations in, so to speak. Family of God, forgiven for their sin, and on that great and final day, they're home with him. And that's the text where it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more mourning or sorrow or crying or pain, for these former things will have passed away. So just like back then, season of darkness, God gave words of hope to give courage and strength. So today, Jesus Messiah, having come the first time to pay for sin, God gives words of hope and encouragement that there is coming another day as well for us when the things that trouble us will be no more. You can take that to the bank, my friend, because the Bible says, thus says the Lord. I couldn't make it up that good. It's what the Bible says. And I hope you're ready for that day. I hope you're walking with Jesus now. I hope you know him as your Savior, and he's speaking light into your darkness today. And by knowing Christ, you are ready for that day, that great and final day. Well, voices of hope. Have on your study notes there a few things for you to think about. I ask you, what voices are you listening to? You know the voice you listen to the most? You know what it is? No, no, it's not Fox News. That's not it. No, Uh, the voice you listen to the most is yours. It's yours. The voice rattling around in your head. Whether you see the world as mostly a bummer or mostly good, it's largely your words in your head. I would urge you to put the word of God there. Live with hope. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us as we go. Read those things. Responding to God. Mull them over. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for seeing your people through seasons of darkness in the past. And thank you for being the same God who today sees your people, us, through our seasons of darkness, also with your voices of hope from the scriptures. Thank you for Messiah Jesus, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, coming again. Thank you for that yet future day when you indeed will wipe away every tear from their eyes, our eyes, a day when certain things, pain and suffering and sorrow, those things will be no more. We look forward to that day, and until then, we hold on to you. Bless your people. Care for us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.